Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm Richard Walensky, and we're talking about books, about theater, about film, about television, and from time to time, even about KPFA, Pacifica Radio. My guest is Ha Jin, whose latest book is The Banished Immortal, A Life of Li Bai. Li Bai, or Li Po, Mm -hmm. is a Chinese poet from the... 8th century in China, the Tang Dynasty. Ha Jin has something like 17 books. There are eight novels, including Waiting, A Free Life, War Trash. There are four books of poetry. There's an essay collection. There's a whole lot of different works, and you're a professor of English now. At Boston University, yes. This particular book, The Banished Immortal, what prompted you to look at the life of this poet and write this particular book? Essence, every book is kind of related to our existence situation. For me, because my wife has been very ill in recent years, so I couldn't inhabit a novel. Writing a novel, you have to live with the characters for many years and but I, I, I was the primary caregiver in my family, in my small family, so I couldn't do that. For this book, uh, for this kind, it was feasible because I don't have to think too much about the structure, the characters. Everything is there, the materials are there. Basically, it was more like academic book. I had to do research, the, but the frame is already there for me. I just figure out the beginning, the ending, and follow the poems intuitively. I sense that every uh, masterpiece by him would reflect a momentary of crisis in his life. Had you thought maybe that this could be a novel? I didn't even plan to write a book like this. Again, it was kind of an uh, accident. There is a small press called Shambhala, and one of the editors, Dave O'Neill, about three years ago, he approached me and asked me to write a mini-biography. 12,000 words. They are publishing series of small biographies. So he wanted me to write one of the biographies of a Chinese figure. So I gave him a list. Uh, Li Bai happened to be on the list, and he really he picked Li Bai. He said, I really want a book on him. Then I began to do research. I realized in English I couldn't find a, a full-length biography of this poet. So that gave me second thoughts because I I began to wonder, uh, instead of a short biography, perhaps I can write a full-length biography. (laughs) Just by chance, I stumbled upon such an idea. As you were working on it, I noticed Mm. that there seemed to be points in the Mm. book where I could see you thinking, you know, if I could make this a novel, I could really flesh it out. Did that cross your mind at all? Sure, yes, because as a novel, a lot of things you can imagine, especially the psychological parts, the thoughts and feelings. But if you write a non 
fiction, piece of non-fiction, you can't do that. Even dialogue, you can't do much. Everything you have, one way or another, supported by sources. You also try to indicate where you get the information. So there is a different discipline, different、uh, rules in writing non-fiction. So it's very different. When you began the research, how familiar had you been about? His life, because he spends his、yeah. entire life traveling. Basically, yes, on the road. Yes, you know, there were so many anecdotes and legends about him. I knew his poetry, but I, I don't have the whole picture of him as a man, as a human being. There had been quite a few Chinese biographies, but there are different kinds. Some、uh, was very fictionalized. For instance, Mother Half basically. Consists of a dialogue, like a novel, and then there are、uh, different kind, another kind of biographies, centered around topics. There's an enormous amount of information scholarship on every topic. In this case, I really want to tell a a narrative, a piece na of narrative, a unified story,、uh, somehow complete about this man. So there were stories that you knew were probably you. You kind of talk about a little bit in the afterwards stories、mm -hmm. that you sort of knew might be true, might not be、mm -hmm. true, yes, and some、yeah. you knew were false yes, as you、yeah. did the research. Yes, yes, that's another kind of a discovery. As I started to write, I realize I realize in fact most of the scholarship in fact came from his poetry. You know, he mentioned this, and then the scholars over the centuries they they expanded, they stretched it, so it became became bigger and bigger, and、uh, became a story. So for me, sometimes it just for me it would be better just return to the poetry,、uh, to the origin. That that also gave me a lot of confidence, because I knew the sources of the scholarship. So you could give the poetry and then say, "Well, some people say this is, and some people say this is not." Yes, yes,、right. and、uh, also I I don't have to believe you know <laughs> uh, uh, everything the scholars said. Underneath it all,、mm. reading about Li Bai,、mm -hmm. Li Po, I realized, okay, number one, the guy's a drunk.、Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and no matter how you try to sugarcoat it,、mm -hmm. he alienates. Most of the people yes. around him,、yes. <laughs> and particularly when he was drunk, he、yeah. was not necessarily a nice guy. No, no, very arrogant.、Uh, never hesitated to insult others, and to some extent, we can see he was also a snob. But he was such a huge talent, as if he couldn't find his niche in the, in this world. So、uh, eventually, it is his art, his poetry that survived everything. Let's talk a little bit about the era that he lived in, which、yeah. is the Tang Dynasty. Up until the last couple of years of his life,、mm -hmm. that was a very, very peaceful time, relatively speaking. Yes, it's also it's the most prosper, prosperous high Tang. We call it high Tang Dynasty. I'm trying to find equivalents for today. Was he kind of a rock star? Would you say? Yes, but on the other hand, in the Tang Dynasty, poetry is also kind of official culture. It's not said as official culture, but there are courtiers appointed in charge of poetry, and also there were some people who became high-ranking officials because of the quality of their poetry. So, it, in other words, that has another dimension. I think even more influential than 
the rock and so sort of like a television star who could become president for example something like that yes or prime minister <laughs> <laughs> well well i was kind of being specific there but in essence particularly during the second half of his mm. life mm. the reason he was able to skate by mm-hmm. is because he was a, f- a celebrity yes he he was he was he supposed he wasn't known everywhere he was revered and also, he, I think he created a kind of poetic personality. As a person, he's very different from others. Almost fearless, never hesitated to make enemies and friends. He had friends everywhere. So he, is, uh, he was a really a, a, a unique character. You know, when we think of poetry today, mm-hmm. we think somebody is going to write something in a book and mm-hmm. then we're going to read it. Yes, but there were times you call his poetry songs, yes. and he performed. What exactly did a poet do during the Tang Dynasty? Poetry is always related to songs. It's, in fact, in Chinese, it's called the shige. Basically, it's, it's a combination of poetry and songs. His oral tradition is really is the root uh, of poetry. Even nowadays, in most of the poets would re- recite the work or chant the work instead of read from the page. So it's kind of like a rap star. Yes. But the, then the other thing is uh, the poetry, in his, case, in his case, it came so easy because he's, he was so talented as if his poetry came without effort. But in fact, they, for many people, they would spend days, even months, just to finish one poem. So it didn't come easily. It's high art, in other words. So people, if he was, say, at a banquet and mm. the emperor said, I want you to perform, mm. he would have favorite poems and he would say, can you perform this one? Yes, yes. And uh, they, they have a kind of repertoire, yes. But in his case, very often, most of the time, if you are caught here, uh, a court poet you are supposed to improvise. You compose at the moment. They call it occasional poems. In his case, he, he did that, a lot of that. He did have that kind of gift. Would there be a musical accompaniment behind him? No, when the poem was created, no. But later, if it's a good piece, uh, it will be set to music. And then you'd have a composer somewhere else setting it to music. Yes. He would be reciting in a way that was chanting almost. Yes. In his case, poetry could come rapidly, sometimes endlessly. And sometimes mm-hmm. people would write it down and sometimes they wouldn't. That's true. So that's why a lot of poems, in fact, were lost. When he was raised, was being a poet considered a thing you could do? Or would it be more like, I want to be an actor, and his parents are going, oh, no. It's the same, uh, you know, it's not a real profession. But there was a possibility if your poetry is a, as a high art was good enough, it's very likely you can find a, an official position. Uh, you could find a patron and that can support you. You might have a good career. In fact, there were people before him and after him who became court officials. He became a, a court official <laughs> because of that. <laughs> he spent his life wanting to be yeah, one and he, finally got there, but... But he stayed there for two years, and then he he quit. But he always believed he belonged to the palace. In a way, it was justified. We know that after he died, he was vindicated by an invitation from the emperor, new emperor again. 
So there was kind of the inner struggle, the belief he, uh, in himself as a super artist. One thing I found interesting is how much he traveled, and it seemed, it almost seemed, at least in, in The Banished Immortal, it almost seemed as if, you know, taking a train from here and there, but he, he had to have either walked or gotten lifts on carts, right? Oh, yes, and also boats. He uh, rode horses. He was restless. He just couldn't stop going on the road. And he also needed to make money. Now, yes. at the end, he was able to just, you know, people would pay him wherever yes. he went. Yes. But early on, he needed money because he had a family. Yes. Also, he was a big spender, extravagant. It seems to me, in his case, he, money money came easily and also went away easily. <laughs> uh, he, but he had friends everywhere. Somehow, he always got support one way or another. When you were working on the research, you know, you learned new things. Was there anything about his life that surprised you or offered a key to why he was a great poet? You know, that part is already as if it was innate because you do feel that his poetry is from another origin. It's not from himself. Uh, But I do feel I found new things about him. First, it was so basically all the struggle it's kind of pathetic in a way, but also I think it's realistic. That is just to secure a, a regular income. That was the, the biggest fundamental need in his case. Well, he never succeeded in that. You know, when we think about medieval times yes. here or there, we think about people robbing when going from place to place, but yes. it doesn't sound as if it sounds safer than that. Yes, at the time, yes, because the town dynasty is really everything was well regulated, and the rule, the the the, the government, everything is in in place. The law, I think, is well kept too. So people could walk safely from one end of China to the other. Sure. Also, the rule was very strictly enforced. For instance, there was a curfew after ten o'clock at night. Nobody was allowed to walk alone in a city or in a town. Ever. Ever. So what happened if someone was really drunk in a tavern and it was 10 o'clock? Then you'll be arrested. See, that's why at one point Li Bai ran into trouble because he returned home late after the party. He startled a, a governor's horse. Right? And right. he was basically, he was really humiliated by that. And that's toward the end. So earlier yes. on, he knew enough to leave. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's mentioned a few times X-I-A-N. Xian, yes. That's a Chinese word. We don't have an English equivalent to that. That means kind of an immortal, a super being in between man and uh, a deity. They're not a deity, but they are from human beings. But because of the cultivation of virtues or morality, they become kind of like a, a... immortal being in between deities and humans. Because it's mentioned a few times yes, in the book. Yes, yes. Originally, I used uh, immortals or, or deities, refer to them, and then, then uh, my editor said, maybe you should use the Chinese word because this is a different kind of a uh, being. Now, he also, there's a curious moment, and it mm. sounds like he did this just because it would make his life easier. 
where he went through a very bad stretch of a couple of months to become a Taoist priest, but he didn't mm. seem to believe in it. He believed in it or he didn't. He was basically torn in between. He said he was basically toward the end of his life, he said, I've been trying to be divine and prosperous, but I have been only wasting my life, wasting my life. That's true. He went through a period where he had to prostrate straight himself and all of that. Which, yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so that he could become a certified Taoist. Yeah. But it sounds like after that, he just kind of used it. He didn't, it was like getting a degree. And that's he didn't true. care. That's true. And in fact, he didn't care. He still he was eager to, to become an official. And that's my own interpretation. I thought that was maybe there was a need, a practical need, that to show that now he entered the religious order. He was not attached to any secular strive. So his enemies, political enemies, would not go after him. That's my interpretation. Well, Ha Jin, his second wife was a Taoist priest. She wound up in a monastery with her teacher, who yes. was also female. But that's the only time that women are mentioned in the context of Taoism in the book. Mm -hmm. Was it fairly common to have women Taoist priests? Yeah, at the, at the time, yes, yes. Later, somehow, especially in modern China, even a regular male Taoist, very rarely you can, seldom you can you encounter such a person, not to mention a female figure. But apparently in ancient times, this kind of woman Taoist were not uncommon. When you were growing up, and this was during the period when Mao was still alive yes. and running China, what did the government think of Li Po? It was beyond politics. There was no argument. Nobody can say anything against him as a poet. The argument would be either he is greater than Du Fu or Du Fu greater than him. Only the, the, the two of them, which one is greater? That's the only argument. Because their work, their poems all have already become part of the language. There's no way for them to separate uh, these poets from the Chinese language anymore. Really beyond anybody, uh, any political figure. In fact, Mao Zedong was more fond of him than the other poets because he was romantic. He was kind of in spirit rebellious. Do you remember when you first heard about him? Or was it always there so that when you became conscious, you already knew the names of Du Fu and, and Li Bai? Before I graduated elementary school, I went to Chinese army. So we had not studied his work. But when I was in the army, my parents sent me some middle school textbooks. They bought the books from some older teachers. And the books had poems by Li Bai. So I think that was the first encounter. That means you are supposed to, to memorize these poems. <laughs> Are some of those poems that you memorized, are they in the book? Then? Sure, yes, yes. Remember that the short poem kind of a reflection in a quiet light? Very short, he, he mm. was penniless, he was homesick. So he wrote a poem, short poem about the, <laughs> the moon and, and nostalgia. So it became a really a, a, a signature poem of his. 
Can you say a little of it in Chinese so we get an idea of? Oh, sure. That's why in Chinese we all know this by heart. It's called "Chuang Tou Ming Yue Guang Yi Shi Di Xia Shuang Ju Tou Wang Ming Yue Di Tou Si Gu Xiang." And this was when he was young, in his mid twenties. He was very <laughs> at the time really lowest point of his life. But this poem really became a masterpiece.、Uh, even nowadays, when you know the the, the UN they, they celebrate the Poetry Day, they have six stamps, each、uh, showing the language,、uh, the original poem, and in its original language, this poem was printed as a representative of Chinese poetry. So when you memorized it, you also were able to write it out too. Yes,、yeah. yes, but maybe not in the exact complex, you know, script. In mainland China, you 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 we use、uh, simplified script, but we all know this poem by heart.、Uh, how many poems of Li Bai's would you have known by heart? Did you? I have forgot、uh, forgot a lot, but I would say at least forty or fifty. Really? Yes. In my case, not because you know there was I I, I didn't go to middle school. I just love the poems. So I really memorized some, but most most many people they would know hundreds even. When you're writing your own poetry, is there any relationship where some of his ideas might seep in, or do you try to avoid it, or what?、Uh, no, I don't avoid, but I do. Some ideas do come up.、Uh, in fact, got into my work. In fact, even the prose style in this book, because I've been translating his poems, I work with his material. I do feel that the prose is different. Partly because of I am close to his poetry during the years. How hard or easy is it to translate Levi's poetry? It was not easy. So that explained why there had been no full-length biography of him. Because then, which whose translation as a biographer you would to, would like to use? Then there will be the issue for copyright. It could be very expensive. I didn't know this until later on because I used to quote a few lines from an American poet. Then you have to pay hundreds of dollars for the few lines. But this, because I translated the poems by myself, that really makes the process, the the project, more feasible. And for me, I think the huge advantage former scholars didn't have that is the internet. In case of Li Bai, he had so many fans. All the fans they would try to try their own, give their own spin on his poem. If you are、uh, had a phrase or a line you are not sure of, check the poem. There will be a lot, a lot of <laughs> interpretations, and、uh, his fans would rewrite the poems in current Chinese. I would have choices. I would see. I could see how this could be translated. So you could conceivably have a whole book about just one poem, in a way. Yes, in some of his major poems, you do have a lot, a lot of different kind of interpretations. How long are the longer poems? The longest one I think is what I know of was almost one hundred fifty lines. But most of when we talk about longer poems by him, I would say around fifty. Around fifty lines. Yes. So kind of like a very long song, or something. yes, something like that. Yes. Yeah, they wouldn't be like the wasteland. No, <laughs> no, they don't have that kind of structure because it really is too close to the oral tradition performance. Now, the other thing that you make mention of, but you don't go into detail because、mm-hmm. 
we probably wouldn't get it anyway, mm. is the difference in formal styles. Yes. yes. Now, yes. he was not a formalist. He was not constrained, constrained by any form. So in terms of uh, forms, he was not that strong. And uh, so there was always a kind of impression there was a kind of a naturalness, formlessness in his poetry. But, but again, everything was really it came from many, many years of cultivation or education. So it's still within a framework. Yes, that sense was very clear. Uh, but he would not follow the forms. He was not a master of most of the forms. But the amazing thing was basically up to his time, whatever form he wrote in, he produced one or two or even more masterpieces. In Chinese, does any of it rhyme? His poem, every poem is a rhyme. Every poem is a rhyme. But I couldn't do that. Right. In English, it would be very clunky, right? That's why I just, did, that's a rational choice. So can you give a couple lines that rhyme so we know what, so people can hear it in Chinese? Sure, yes. Okay, there's one poem about wine. In original, he said, the landing wine gave off a frequency. As long as my host can make me drunk, I will have no idea where my hometown is. The original the lines were rhymed, very strictly, very obvious. But in English, you can't do this. <laughs> but the two lines, really, the, the, the beauty of his poems, uh, his best poems, the lines are still used. Nowadays, people, when they get, get together to drink, when I urge you to drink, I would say, as long as the host can make me drunk, I won't remember my hometown. Mm. So, it's, so that's why it becomes part of the language. But the English translation, I can only do the idea and the sentiment. I can't rhyme. It could be easily to, to, to become clumsy. So I decided to just write in straightforward current English. Did he use puns? Not many. Occasionally he used, not many, not many. Pun is a different category because then you would have to know the allusion. Right, uh, the echo in the language that would be even harder to translate. Right, <laughs> so that's <laughs> why I say that. Yeah, that's because, harder. But you know, impossible, it's impossible, <laughs> impossible. Yeah. Now metaphors he can do. Yes, metaphors. You know, we can always you know you re reproduce the metaphor. That's another problem. One thing I noticed about his poetry is that there was nothing. I mean, when we talk about current literature or mm. current poetry. There's a time-datedness to it. We know it's yes, now. Yeah. But in looking at the poetry, or at least your translations, mm -hmm. most of the time it could be 700 AD, but it could also be 1700 sure. or even modern. Yes. I somehow experience in the poems is still fresh and current. The nature, by essence, the poetry is not dated. With the best poetry, somehow, somehow the poetry always transcends time and history. Still really uh, somehow fresh now. Hajin, I'd like to change the subject since mm -hmm. I have you here. We're living in kind of strange times here in America. Mm -hmm. Yes. One of the things I noticed in um, Banished Immortal was the fact that he lived in peaceful times. Mm -hmm. And if you were born in the United States after World War II, 
there was no war here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's very peaceful times. Sure. We're entering a time now where we don't know if it's going to be peaceful in this country. Mm-hmm. What is your sense as somebody from China who lived through peaceful and not so peaceful times? My sense is, in fact, the world, the order and the world is fragile, very, very fragile. Sometimes just one person with the power can destroy a lot of things, a lot of damage, the havoc beyond our imagination. So that makes everyone vulnerable. I'm afraid the peace might not last. In this That's country? My, yes, yeah. in the world, in fact. Yeah. When you were... 11 years old, 12 years old, came the Cultural Revolution, Mm -hmm. and you were there. Did that affect you personally? Sure, because school stopped. We didn't have anything to do at school. We don't. Basically, education stopped. So in my generation, there's more than 10 years gap. Many of people from my age, we didn't go to middle school and high school. Uh, So that was a huge loss. Your best years, basically, you wasted your best time. And then you eventually came, you eventually went to school, came yes, here. Yes, I'm lucky. Yes, I, I returned, I went to the Army then. Afterward, uh, you know, uh, three years uh, working experience, then I went to college. That step really made me different from most of my generation because I did manage to have more education. How often do you go back now? I couldn't. I can't go back. Really? Yeah, ever since I came in 85, and uh, I had never been back. I tried. In fact, both my parents passed when I was here, and uh, but the government wouldn't give me a visa, so I couldn't go back to, to see them. That's terrible. I know, I know. That's why it's crazy, just crazy, yes. You said before that you don't have the time to write another novel. Are you working on another novel? I do because my wife, fortunately, she her her, her illness now is much better improved. It's, it's her, so I can concentrate again. So after this book, I, in fact, I I've been writing novels. Yes. Do you ever plan to go back and do something with Li Bai? I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say, but this is like like an excursion in my in my writing. Uh, life because during those years this was something I could do. I mean one thing I noticed is that his life has so many variations. Yes. Particularly the second half Mm -hmm. and particularly the last years because Mm -hmm. the story of An Lushan's rebellion which changed things. Yes. Right. I mean he was intimately involved with many of the major characters. I know. Politics, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I, you know, they show that politically he was kind of idiot. Really, he was he's outdated. He's foggy. foggy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he was ambitious. It's tragic, really tragic, uh, silly figure. This one point where he backs a man named Yang. Yes. And no one else did. He was the only one. He was the only one. So then he became a kind of national enemy. Did you try to figure out why he did that? It doesn't make much sense. It doesn't make sense, but he thought see, he's, he thought he himself was part of the uh, royal family. So the whole business is their own family's business. It's a brother between brother. 
So either wife could become uh, the ruler. It wouldn't hurt. Also because he was desperate to see the opportunity to return to the court to become a political figure again. Even though he was pretty old by that point. And also he, he was not good at politics. He was very, very ignorant. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons everybody threw him out. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, one thing about, I've talked to biographers and they say after a while they come to not quite like their the person they're writing about because mm-hmm. they see all the flaws. Yeah, they have a lot of flaws, but on the other hand, really, I learned a lot. I see that the man, even his arrogance, his snobbery, and all these, you know, is justified by his art. There is a famous sentence he used, when I mix with the princes and dukes, I'm their equal. See, that's a really a, a, a great statement, not because of his wealth, but only because he's a superb artist. He was also a swordsman. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> was that normal? It was normal because you are not supposed to be just to, to be able to, to use a pen. You are supposed also to use the arms. In his case, he wanted to serve. And part of the service would be not just on paper, but also in battlefield. Well, it sounds as if he was somebody who used his own autobiography to a very, maybe to a greater degree than others as part of his art. Yes. He tried to create what we call a poetic personality, quite different from his actual uh, human being. But he needed to be a, to present himself as a figure, great figure. He was good at branding. <laughs> yes, very good, very good at it. Uh, in fact, in fact, there are so many legends, really, that still celebrates that figure. At the time of his death, and he was sixty years old. Is that correct? Sixty-one. Yeah, sixty-one yeah. years old, mm-hmm. which in those days was very old. Yeah, it's quite old. Yeah, quite it was, old. It was quite old. Yes. The rebellion had been put down. Mm-hmm. But the new emperor was kind of a dork. What happened right after that? Did things go wild or did things calm down again? It didn't calm down because all the emperors afterward, they lived very short lives. In other words, the country was still would go through upheavals. After that peaceful period, basically, there was chaos afterward. The emperor not being a very good emperor went quickly, and then there were succession of them and civil wars. Yes, but in the best time, basically the emperor Xuanzong, we call it, he has he was in, in power for a long time, more than three decades. So at least the first half was very good. But the, the emperors afterward, every few, basically uh, everyone died in a few years. Uh, so there was basically, there was, you couldn't accomplish anything. You couldn't accomplish anything. And you couldn't travel like he sh- traveled because I, I would assume that that law and order would have broken sure. down. Yes, a lot of lot of roads were blocked and uh, uh, things were in disorder. That's true. So it would have been unlikely for later poets to have the range of experience that uh, Levi had. That's true. He was unique, very unique. Later, there are later there are great poets. There were great poets too, but most of them they were. Uh, court officials, or they were officials in charge of a prefect or or region. So they could still travel, but they couldn't travel like Li Bai. Li Bai was basically, he's a wanderer. Including two months in the Three Gorges. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Later on, yes. (laughs) Yes, crazy, yes. One final question then. 
Li-Bai, or as we say in English, Li-Po. Li-Po, yes. Why the distinction between these different names? Is that just different translations? Different translations, also the pronunciations. There are so many dialects. The southern people, usually they call him Li-Po. In some regions, maybe the, the major central China, the people used to call him Li-Po. Li-Bai, in, in a way, also he's... His personal name is Taibai. That in ancient Chinese, that means Venus. Because when his mother was giving birth to him, she dreamed of, she saw Venus. And so they gave the name Li Taibai, uh, Venus, to him. So people tend to use that word, the final word, Bai, as his personal name. So over the centuries, gradually people, most Chinese would mention him as Li Bai, the star, <laughs> the star. And also the, the, the nickname, the banished immortal. If in Chinese language, Zhexian, everybody knows it refers to Li Bai. But I would not use such a title in Chinese. In the Chinese translation, it had to be, we have to figure out another name for him to make the book fresh and original. What would be the name of the book in Chinese? Originally, even in English, I used the title uh, A Way to Heaven. Basically, he's struggling to be to go upward. But for him, heaven, is there are two kinds. One is the political heaven, that is the, the court, next to the emperor, <laughs> the son of heaven. That's one heaven. The other heaven is his doist imagination. He can become an immortal. So, but when I sent in the manuscript, my editor basically suggested the, the banishing model. So uh, I think it was a good idea. So that's why we decided to use this one. But in Chinese, I think we would use A Way to Have as the title of the book. Hajin, now you've finished this. You said you're working on another novel. Yes. What's the subject? It's about an immigrant singer. He's from China. He tried to imagine, try to reinvent himself as a free artist, as an immigrant. Ten years, he'd struggle. In America? In America, yes. Feedback on this and other Radio Walensky podcasts is appreciated. You can write to bookwaves at hotmail.com. You can listen to other interviews, either as Radio Walensky podcasts or in the archives pages of bookwaves.com. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast.